we're not even going to start with the virus today. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. I bet you're as relieved as me. Uh, we, we got bigger news, I think, right now than the virus. Uh, of course, there's news we can't dismiss. I want to, I'll get there eventually, uh, but there's other news. Welcome. The phone number is going to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to begin with an interview last night on CNN with Don Lemon and, and Stacey Abrams talking about the Tara Reid situation. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Tara Reid situation, Tara Reid is a woman who worked for Joe Biden in the early 1990s. She coordinated interns in his office. She claims that Joe Biden uh, pushed her against the wall after after uh, in multiple times of harassment and solicitation in which she refused. He ultimately pushed her against the wall and placed his finger inside her. Yeah. There. Yep. Exactly. Where you, not the mouth. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Now, there are multiple people who corroborate her story from the time. Unlike Christine Blasey Ford and the Brett Kavanaugh situation from 40 some odd years ago, this from roughly 30 years ago, there are multiple people who remember that at the time she named Joe Biden, including her uh, neighbor in an apartment complex who now lives in California, who is going to vote for Joe Biden because she says Donald Trump's a monster, she remembers Joe Biden being named. Others have come forward at the same time. Interns in Joe Biden's office at the time say they do remember that Tara Reid abruptly was taken off of handling interns uh, after she complained. They don't know that she complained. It's just she says she complained, and then they took her off handling interns, ultimately let her go, and the interns corroborate that part of it. So there are multiple people who corroborate aspects of her story, unlike Christine Blasey Ford. And yet there are people like Stacey Abrams who said, believe all women, believe Christine Blasey Ford, and now say, uh, Tara Reid, uh, we, we listened to her and she made up the story or she believes Joe Biden. Uh, in fact, uh, Donald Trump challenged Brett Kavanaugh's accuser, saying if it was sexual assault uh, was as bad as she said, she should have brought charges. And Stacey Abrams at the time responded saying this is appalling and it's exactly why Dr. Ford and so many other survivors of traumatic experiences don't feel they can come forward to seek justice. Instead of blaming survivors of assault, we must do everything in our power to support them and hold perpetrators accountable. She now says nothing in the New York Times review or any other later report suggests anything other than what I already know about Joe Biden, that he will make women proud as the next president of the United States. So, so she was willing to believe Christine Blasey Ford despite a lack of witnesses, and she's not willing to believe Tara Reid. She's not willing to believe Tara Reid's uh, three people she told at the time in the 1990s. She's not willing to believe Tara Reid's mother who called into Larry King Live. She's not willing to believe Tara Reid's neighbor, all of whom say, with the exception of Tara Reid's mother, who's now deceased, that uh, she named Joe Biden and said what happened. And some people she didn't say specifically what happened. And other people in the 1990s, real-time corroboration or shortly thereafter said, yes, this is what what happened with Joe Biden. She's not willing to believe any of those people. Believe all women except this one. So she went on uh, Don Lemon's show last night. And Don Lemon asked her about it. And it was a master class in media bias, in how a story is covered, story is handled. And I want to show you, I, I want to explain to you, when conservatives say there is a bias in the media, I want to, I, I want to 
walk you through the Don Lemon audio. And I don't even want to play the excerpt. Well, I, let me play the excerpt and then let me play the long form. So here's Stacey Abrams on the Joe Biden Tara Reid situation. Biden's campaign says untrue, never happened. Is this a credible allegation? I believe that women deserve to be heard and I believe that they need to be listened to. But I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. The New York Times did a deep investigation and they found that the accusation was not credible. The New York Times knows she's hiding behind the left-leaning New York Times, which found the allegation was not credible, except the New York Times spent more time attacking Donald Trump than investigating it. Now, let me play you. I don't like to play clips this long, but there's a method to my madness here. Let me play this clip for you of Don Lemon with Stacey Abrams on CNN last night. I got to, I'm, I'm rerouting all of my audio now that I've set it up terribly because I want to actually play the video here. ...against Joe Biden. The accuser, her name is Tara Reid, tells CNN that the alleged incident happened in 1993 while she was working as an aide in Biden's Senate office. She is claiming that she was delivering Biden a duffel bag and says that Biden had her up against the wall in a corridor uh, on the Hill and violated her with his fingers. Now, CNN has now, has now spoken on the record with her former neighbor who says Reid told her about the allegation within a few years of the alleged incident. Biden's campaign says, untrue, never happened. Is this a credible allegation? That's a good setup by Don Lemon. It's a good setup by Don Lemon. He explains the basic facts and throws in the neighbor and says, is this a credible allegation? Now listen. I believe that women deserve to be heard, and I believe that they need But I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. The New York Times did a deep investigation and they found that the accusation was not credible. I believe Joe Biden. I believe that he is a person who has demonstrated that his love of family, his love of our community has been made perfectly clear through his work as a congressional leader and as an American leader. I know Joe Biden and I think that he is telling the truth and that this did not happen. Now, I was actually impressed. Don Lemon did not stop there, did not give her that. He actually asked a follow-up question. So in, in 2018, you tweeted it was shameful that Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination was being rushed forward and survivors of violence like Christine Blasey Ford deserve to have their voices heard. Are you applying a different standard now? Not at all. I believe then and I believe now that women deserve to be heard because too often they are not. And Tara Reid deserved to have her story listened to and investigated. What was happening to Christine Blasey Ford was that there was no investigation. There was a rush to move the conversation forward so that no investigation was conducted. And as I said, I believe that there was those allegations needed to be investigated. And I believe that the New York Times and subsequent reports support what the Biden campaign has said. Now, wait, he's going to ask a third follow-up question. This is good. This is good, you think? This, this, this seems pretty thorough. I believe Joe Biden. So you said you've heard her, you've heard enough, you don't believe her, you believe Joe Biden. No, I, what I'm saying is that the New York... <laughs> no, notice, notice she doesn't want to say she just dismisses Tara Reid. ...Times investigation of her allegations. The New York Times investigation does not support the accusations against the vice president. I believe the Biden I know, and I think that he will make women proud, that he will make America proud. 
Does Joe Biden personally need to address this more directly and publicly? I believe his campaign has been very clear, and I believe that that is... Okay, we, we, we can stop this here. That was their interview. You know, good on Don Lemon. He asked four questions, one a clarification, and, and, and three other questions. And he let Stacey Abrams speak. Okay, you're thinking that's good. Good for him. He let her do that. that that's what I initially thought. But then I remembered, that's not how Don Lemon interviews people. I, I, I know Don Lemon. That's not how Don Lemon interviews people. Let's contrast what he did with Stacey Abrams right there with this interview. The cooperation from the federal government, it gets to the states and governors have this to make John choices Kasich, and they cannot make choices based on making people happy or political considerations. Well, listen, the and, governors uh, can't, John, the governors can't make choices. They can't, if there are no test kits. If the test kits that the, the federal government has promised aren't out there, then those governors can't make choices. And you said that, listen, the president, you said the president should stick to the script. I don't know if he stuck to the script or not, but that whatever script he read I, I was wrong yeah. because they've had to clarify it several times. And I just got to say, if the president came I, out uh, to calm uh, people's fears, he didn't do a good job of it because they've had to come back and clarify it several times. And th this has been going on long he, enough I, for them to get it okay. straight. We need He's straight, filibustery. accurate you know information what, from He's this arguing with yeah. the characterization of the, uh, the yes. And I don't understand why towing around it he came he's out pushing back an address that old that usually you know ha that happens very rarely he's not letting the guests doesn't speak. get it right i'm going to tell you first of all he read it and somebody that wrote this look i don't want to get into that he well, he, he interrupts the, the guest and he demands now? the guest no, hold no, him accountable. No, you Let can't, John. John, because we're here to talk oh, about I the president. Wait, we're here. I don't want you. To, I don't want you to go on and deflect and talk about something else because we're here to talk about the president. That, that's Don Lemon interviewing a Republican who he disagrees with, as opposed to how he interviewed. Uh, let Let me redo for you the Don Lemon interview with Stacey Abrams if Daisy Abrams and Joe Biden were Republicans. It's all the allegation against Joe Biden. The accuser, her name is Tara Reid, tells CNN that the alleged incident happened in 1993 while she was working as an aide in Biden's Senate office. She is claiming that she was delivering Biden a duffel bag and says that Biden had her up against the wall in a corridor uh, on the Hill and violated her with his fingers. Now, CNN has now, has now spoken on the record with her former neighbor, who says Reid told her about the allegation within a few years of the alleged incident. Biden's campaign says, untrue, never happened. Is this a credible allegation? I believe that women deserve to be heard, and I believe that- Is it a credible allegation? They need to be listened to. But I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. The New York Times did a deep investigation. How is the New York Times a credible source in this, Ms. Abrams? And they found that the accusation was not credible. Actually, they found that there were multiple people who backed up Tara Reid, including interns who said, no, Ms. Abrams, stop interrupting me because you're missing this point. Interns said she was abruptly taken off corroborating key details. I believe Joe Biden. Now, how can you believe Joe Biden, who himself has not actually said anything about the story? Believe that he is a person who has demonstrated that his love of family, his love of our community has been made perfectly clear through his work as a congressional leader 
and as an American leader. But Ms. Abrams, Brett Kavanaugh volunteered to help the homeless. Brett Kavanaugh was active in his community. He helped people. He helped people in battered women's shelter. He helped sm- girls get basketball teams. There was never an accusation of him assaulting anyone else. Why shouldn't we believe him? I know Joe Biden, and I think that he is telling the truth and that this did not happen. Yeah, but Miss Abrams, everyone says they know the serial killer and the serial killer was very nice. And yet it turns out the serial killer was the serial killer. So why should we believe him? So in, in 2018, you tweeted it was shameful that Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination was being rushed forward and survivors of violence like Christine Blasey Ford deserve to have their voices heard. Are you applying a different standard now? Not at all. I believe then and I believe now that women deserve to be heard because too often they are not. And Tara Reid deserved to have her story listened to and investigated. What was happening to Christine Blasey Ford was that there was no. Wait, 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 wait a second. Uh, you will recall Jeff Flake shut down the Senate confirmation process to demand the FBI take multiple days to interview all of the witnesses that Senate Democrats said they needed to hear. That was a compromise the Senate Democrats themselves wanted. And he interviewed those people and they said they, were, they, they couldn't recall it. In this case, Tara Reid has multiple people who recall that she said Joe Biden did this to her. Her neighbor recalls it, former roommates recall it, former friends recall it, her mother even called into Larry King Life. Likewise, Miss Abrams, you, you say that you need to believe all women and that this isn't a different standard, except you also tweeted, notice Don Lemon didn't bring up this tweet, this is appalling, it is exactly why Dr. Ford and so many other survivors of traumatic experiences don't feel they can come forward to seek justice. Instead of blaming survivors of assault, we must do everything in our power to support them and hold the perpetrators accountable you believe dr ford even though you acknowledge or you say there was no investigation and yet we have multiple people who've come forward and said they don't recall it and yet in tara reed's situation we have multiple people who came forward and said that they do recall it why the double standard miss abrams the rush to move the conversation forward so that no investigation was conducted Uh, again miss abrams the senate paused its hearings to allow the fbi to investigate and deliver a report based on interviewing witnesses. And as I said, I believe that there was those allegations needed to be investigated. And I believe that the New York Times and subsequent reports support what the Biden campaign has said. Do you support an outside investigator? Because there are those who will say the New York Times is biased. And in fact, the New York Times itself didn't talk to all of the witnesses who have now come forward. Should the Biden campaign call for an outside independent investigation? And I believe Joe Biden. So you said you've heard her, you've heard enough, you don't believe so that you, you get what I'm doing here. Don Lemon, if this was a Republican, would be interviewing and challenging the, the person he's interviewing. Instead, with Stacey Abrams, he asked four questions. He never interrupts a single thing she says, including to set her straight on the facts. You, whether you play an interview with Rick Santorum, you play an interview with a, or Dan Crenshaw, you play an interview with any Republican, you play an interview with, with John Kasich. He interrupts the entire time to correct them on what he believes are their facts. With Stacey Abrams, this is quintessentially the way the media plays these things to try to get around the accusation of media bias. We talked about the story. We had them all. We asked multiple questions. We let them answer. They, they, they believe Joe Biden. There's no there there. They're backing Joe Biden. Except you wouldn't do that if it was a Republican. You would probe and you would challenge and you would... 
contradict them with your version of the facts. There was an, an FBI investigation, Christine Blasey Ford. You say there was none. You say we should rely on the New York Times for, for this information. Why should we rely on the press? Why should there be an outside investigation? You say you believe Joe Biden, except that's what every serial killer's next door neighbor and family says. We always believe the serial killer until it turns out the, the roses are so beautiful because there are bodies under them. They would never, Don Lemon would never let a Republican have a softball interview like that. He would never ask questions and shut up and let them answer the question. He would never do that. And if you believe he would, you're a fool. You really are. Because I, I watch Don Lemon's show. I see the way Don Lemon interviews Republicans. Don Lemon asked more probative, challenging questions of the person who thought a black hole was going to swallow up a 777 than he did Stacey Abrams on a sexual assault allegation. Don't tell me there's no media bias out there. <laughs> oh, man. Um, 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 uh. <laughs> Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Richard Music, 31. Long home to play a prank. He wound up... I did Richard Music scare the six-year-old child. <laughs> the guy dressed up in a gorilla suit was going to go into a friend's house and scare the friend. He got confused, went into the next-door neighbor's house instead, scared that family's six-year-old child. He's lucky he wasn't shot. It's Tennessee. He's been charged with aggravated burglary, which is actually kind of bizarre. And this is Jonathan Turley's website that has the story. Um, the... <laughs> The police were called. Uh, music, uh, when he realized he was in the wrong house and was confronted, he ran in the gorilla suit down the street. The police have decided to charge him with aggravated burglary. The problem is that the the statute for aggravated burglary uh, is unlawfully entering or remaining in a habitation uh, with the intent to commit a felony. Uh, even the police acknowledged that he was there to scare his friend and just went into the uh, wrong house by mistake. Um, apparently having a hard time seeing through the gorilla eyes, but Hey, this is not an anomaly. Uh, believe it or not, this is from last year in, in sulfur, Louisiana, my people, a man wearing a gorilla suit broke into a Louisiana home and hid under the mattress. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, he ran into the home as officers approached, um, him. Now this grill suit but there's a mask he wasn't supposed to be in his mask <laughs> oh my goodness okay all right all right uh eight seven seven nine seven eric eight seven seven nine seven uh jim indicator you're going to be up first today welcome well thank you i think i've come up with a little cheap shot we can use to kind of illustrate uh the awkward position Democrats are in with Joe Biden and Tara Reid, every time we say Joe Biden in reference to Tara Reid, we should say, we should call him Brett Kavanaugh. You know, Brett Kavanaugh shouldn't have done that to Tara Reid if he did that. And we should investigate this completely about Brett Kavanaugh thinking, doing the unthinkable with this poor woman. And why aren't we doing this? And, and that way, just keep reminding them that they're um, being rather hypocritical here. And just let them twist on the spit of their hypocrisy. 
Look, if nothing else, I I think you keep bringing up the Brett Kavanaugh situation. It it provides the Democrats some ammunition to throw back in in Republicans' faces the Brett Kavanaugh situation. But if you say, for example, um, incredibly accused sexual assailant Joe Biden is going to be the Democrats' nominee. I mean, he's been credibly accused based on the Democrats' own standards. If they want to relitigate what credibly accused, they are the ones who said believe all women, not not just the ones you like, but believe all women, they said. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be that the Democrats actually do want to believe all women. It, it's a, it, And again, this is a story of media bias more than anything else. It is a double standard in how these people are handling the situation in the media. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you... Nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Yeah, to the COVID nineteen stuff. If you want to see the daily day, well, I'll, I'll, just so you have it, um, it, it and you can text the word data to three three seven 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 if you want to see it for yourself. Text data. And I will send you back a link to the Georgia Department of Public Health website. Uh, There have been 140,223 tests given, 25,159 cases, 1,114 ICU admissions, 4,921 hospitalizations, 1,043 deaths in Georgia. Now, what are the trend lines? Well, let me start with the 20th. 758 cases confirmed that day. 685 658 on the 22nd. Now, hang on. Let me try something here as I continue to break up. Okay. Now we've got 508 cases on the 23rd, 485 on the 24th, 220 on the 25th, 139 on the 26th, 89 on the 27th, 33 on the 28th, and 9 this morning. 9. Now, that number will go up. All these numbers will go up towards the end, but the trend is real clear. 489, 220, 139, 89, 33, 9. We are clearly headed in the appropriate direction. Uh, We are... There's been... Even as test... It is declining. So uh, on the 24th, we had 485 uh, COVID-19 day 220, the next day 139, the next day 89, 33, and now nine cases. Now, those numbers, again, those numbers will come up, and they will come up for the reason that uh, as the data comes in from prior testing days, the numbers boost up. And because the numbers boost up, because tests that are taken today, for example, may come in two days from now, depending on the lab they want to, the numbers go up. But even as the numbers are coming in, we are clearly well past the fall off in Georgia. That is really good news, and it's why we should be able to open up. Uh, If you want to see that data, go to uh, text the word data to 33777 so you can see it for yourself. Now, 
We will get back to COVID-19 in a little bit, but I, I want to talk about something else here. Uh, Justin Amish is getting into the presidential race, and there are already a lot of people. And you know what's very funny? There's a complete freakout on both sides over Amish. Now, he's probably going to run as a libertarian, which means he's not going to win because libertarians never win. But nonetheless, he's going to try. He is a conservative. He is a good guy. I, I, I have no qualms with Justin Amish. And there are, of course, Republicans out there already saying, oh, my gosh, you can't vote for him. He'll take votes away from the president. You can't do this. That's what they're going to say. But there are also Democrats out there right now saying he's going to take votes away from Joe Biden. We can't allow that. We can't tolerate Justin Amish getting, you know, the the anti-Trump Republicans are upset with Amish getting in because that may actually help Joe Biden. Here is, um, this is from the Bulwark, Sarah Longwell and and, um, Tim Miller. The evidence we have suggests that an Amish run would be a Trump-helping redux of 20... Poll conducted in late May 2019 of 600 likely Michigan voters tested Amish in a hypothetical three-way White House race against Trump and Joe Biden. According to the poll, Biden beat Trump by 12 percentage points head-to-head. When Amish was added to the field, his lead dropped to six percentage points, so Biden would still win. Richard Zuba, who conducted the poll for the Glenn Gariff Group, sent this to the Detroit News back when the poll was released. He will not take away Republican votes from Trump. What he will do is give independent voters who don't want to support President Trump an outlet to not vote for the Democrat. And if you look at who or what would be moving toward Amish, it is particularly independent men. It's a consistent finding across polls that include third-party candidates. But these are all hypotheticals. You you know, in 2016, a believed if you supported uh, a third-party candidate, you were helping Hillary Clinton get elected. And in fact, there were a lot of people who got mad at me because I didn't vote for Trump in 2016 who said, you're you're getting Hillary elected by doing this. Well, I voted third-party in 2016, and Donald Trump got elected. Now I'm going to vote for Donald Trump in 2020. I don't believe Justin Amish is going to hurt Donald Trump. Uh, maybe he will hurt Joe Biden, but I don't know that he'll hurt Joe Biden. I, I honestly think that Justin Amish will hurt both sides. Why? There are a lot of friends of mine who are similarly situated to me who didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016 and have decided to vote for him in 2020. And I've heard from a lot of them that Amish gives them a way out. They can vote for a pro-life candidate without having to vote for Donald Trump. They, they They can avoid voting for Joe Biden. They can protest voting for Joe Biden without having to vote for Donald Trump. There are a number of conservatives. Now, again, remember this. Remember Even if you're in the minority, even if you think you're right, know when you're in the minority. Even if you stand, at least try to understand other people's thinking. There are people who do not like Donald Trump who will vote for Donald Trump. And they will vote for Donald Trump more because they dislike the Democrats more than they dislike Trump. They don't like Trump, but they like a lot of his administration. And, you know, I would put myself in this camp, and and I've been very honest with the president about this when we've chatted about it. Uh, There are things he does that I don't like, but by and large, I like the things I get from his administration, so I'll support him. A lot of my friends who are similarly situated came to that realization with the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, as a matter of fact, as this Tara Reid situation comes up. They decided, listen, this guy stood with Brett Kavanaugh in a way no— 
I, I think I can vote for this guy because he really does have our back. I know a lot of Republicans who didn't vote for Trump in 2016 who are going to vote for him in 2020, not just because all the policy stuff, moving the embassy to Israel, getting out of the Paris Accord, getting out of the Iran Accord, the tax cuts, all that. But when they saw him stand up and fight for Brett Kavanaugh, knowing that most Republicans would have caved then and there, Ironically, another guy who stood up with Brett Kavanaugh was George W. Bush. That gets underplayed, though. But there are a lot of people who thought, you know, had Trump not done this, had he show, had he wavered at all, he would have given Republicans an excuse to boot the guy. And the result is a lot of people voting for him who were never Trump in 2016, who are going to vote for him in 2020. But I've heard from a number of them in the past couple of months they want a way out because they're singularly unimpressed with the president's handling of COVID-19, that they came to this conclusion that what they were getting from the administration came in spite of the president, not because of the president. And they were willing to vote for the president because of the people he had around him, not because of him. They were willing to vote for the president because he had a guy like Mike Pence as vice president, or you name it. And they've been looking for a way out. And now they have one with Justin Amish. And they can they can vote against a Democrat, but they don't have to vote for Trump. They look at Trump in the last couple of months and his handling of COVID-19, and they think, yeah, he did screw up. He's handled himself bad. He's been more combative with the press than, than leaderly. He's caused problems. He shouldn't be on stage talking about uh, Clorox because people are stupid. And even though he didn't I- encourage people to inject it, he should have known better than to ask those sorts of questions in public with stupid people are listening. Now, listen, I, I, I don't don't hear me saying this is me, but I have friends. I've had this conversation with them and they are in that boat. They don't like the guy. They were going to vote for the guy. They had no alternative. And now they got Amish. At the same time, I have friends who despise Donald Trump. And they would have voted for no Democrat. They would have stayed home. They would not have voted. And they weren't going to vote for an Elizabeth Warren. They weren't going to vote for Bernie Sanders. They weren't going to vote for any Democrat. But now they may vote for Joe Biden. Ironically, not if he picks Stacey Abrams. And Biden seems reasonable. As far as Democrats go, he seems more moderate than most of the Democrats out there. And they're thinking, I I can vote for this guy. But Biden continues to drift left. Biden continues to uh, flirt with the progressives. He's uh, abandoned his previously held positions on, for example, the Hyde Amendment on federal government funding of abortion. He still wants to shut down fracking. He still wants to get rid of petroleum. He still wants to embrace radical... um, environmental policies. He wants to expand the economy to hold their nose in Trump. And now these people too have a way out. They could vote for Amish. Now, if Amish actually gets on the ballot, there's no guarantee he'll get on the ballot. He needs to run as libertarian because libertarians already have ballot access in all 50 states. The libertarians are the only other party that have ballot access in all the states. Most parties. So you've got to raise a number. You've got to get a number of signatures collected and do so well in states to get automatic ballot access. And the libertarians have it. The reason they have it in Georgia, ironically, is because when Tom Murphy was Speaker of the House in the 1990s, he saw that Georgia was headed to the right and decided he needed to break up the Republican Party a little bit. And in... uh, the party for a little bit, 
He brought in the libertarians so that the Republicans would divide. And, and, you know, to this day, the libertarians can't get elected in Georgia, but they can force a Republican into a runoff with a Democrat. That is the libertarian clout. If Republicans in Georgia were smart, they would give the Green Party ballot access. They haven't done that yet, but they should give the Green Party direct ballot access in Georgia. It would undermine the Democrats in the way the Democrats have done for the libertarians. Start giving ballot access to these other parties. But, but. Republicans aren't as conniving as Democrats when it comes to stuff like this. Nonetheless, uh, I think Amish is going to take votes from both sides, and there's no great freakout. Now, I, I'm getting an email. Let me re- read it to you. Uh, I'm in the opposite. This is from from listener Chris. I'm in the opposite camp from you. Voted for Trump in 2016, even went to the inauguration, and have supported him on policy grounds, although I find him to be a reprehensible human being. His fiscal policies, the last budget, $5 trillion so far, this BS pork over COVID, and advocating more, the Trump Daily Show, have already led me to the conclusion that I would be leaving the top of the ballot blank this year. But if Amish runs, I'll vote for him. There are those who voted for Trump in 2016. You know, uh, of course, the, the the liberal media is doing this. They're seeking out Trump supporters from 2016 who are disaffected with him. Uh, the vast minority, by the way, it's amazing how easy it is for the media to find these people who, who really are the unicorn of voters. I mean, there are some. Chris is one. Chris went to the inauguration, voted for Trump in 2016. But there aren't that many, and it always amazes me how easily the media is able to find these people. Makes you wonder if they really were to begin with. And by the way, I, I don't dispute Chris. Uh, we've had interaction in the past. I, I I know he supported Trump, so I don't hesitate reading his email. Uh, but there are there are a lot of people out there who are going to shift allegiances and shift alliances. And a lot of it has to do with the massive spending. And a lot of it has to do with Joe Biden. Some of it has to do with Tara Reid. A lot of it has to do with the president's behavior. But there's just no guarantee one way or the other in how you can predict how Amish is going to vote. And again, people in 2016 told me if you vote third party, you're going to get Hillary elected. And that did not happen. So I have a hard time telling anyone not to vote third party. And, you know, I used to very much take the position conservative in the primary, Republican in the general. That was always my line. I got to 2016 and said, he's not even a Republican. He gave Nancy Pelosi money. I'm not going to vote for this guy. He's a pro-abortion liberal. I was wrong. He's actually been a very pro-life president. He's actually allowed conservatives to advance a lot of policies, including major deregulation and, and conservative judges. So I'll, I'll I'll vote for him. There are days I get up, though, and I think, I don't know. I'm just not sure. Uh, I, I Listen, I understand conservatives, particularly Christian conservatives, who are struggling because I am. I'll vote for him. I said I would. I'll do it. I told him I would. I, I, I even wrote him a note that he has that said, I'll, I'll vote for you. But I understand the hesitation of some. I really do. And, and I, I'm not going to, to browbeat anyone who looks at this election at the time as a global pandemic spreads through the planet in a way none of us have ever seen and, and concludes differently. I'm just not. What I can't fathom, though, are the people who claim to be Republicans who will vote Democrat. And not process the people. And you know, you know, the dividing line on this, this is what, what, what doesn't get enough press attention because the press doesn't care about this issue. You know, the real dividing line, I've got friends of mine who are Republicans who are unquestionably on the, the, in the center right coalition who are going to vote for Joe Biden because they hate Donald Trump. And do you know what the real dividing line is for them? 
killing kids. And I don't mean that disparagingly, but let's stop hiding behind the euphemism of abortion. It is killing a child. And there are those who believe that killing kids is perfectly fine and legal and dandy. And they hate Donald Trump and they'll vote for Joe Biden because killing kids is not a meaningful thing to them. I'm sorry, y'all, but I can't vote for any politician who believes that a child should be allowed to be exterminated just because someone says so. That is a repackaged argument of 19th century slaveholders in the American South. My body, my choice, my property, my choice. Don't tell me what to do with my own property. It's not really a human being. It's not really a human being. It couldn't take care of itself if it were left alone in a plantation. It couldn't take care of itself if it were given birth and left alone. These are just the repackaged arguments of slaveholders. It really is interesting to watch the the modern uh, abortion movement really has repackaged all of the arguments of the Confederate slaveholders in the American South from the 19th century. And you're not supposed to talk about that. It enrages people uh, because you're comparing them to slaveholders. But that that those are the arguments. My body, my property. That's it. And I noticed that among the Republicans who can so easily say, I'll vote for Joe Biden, they're the ones who are okay with that. And I'm sorry, I'm not. It's a child that murdered just because someone decided to have a better career if I didn't have this child. It's still killing a child. I want to read you guys a story from CNN that I think is a rather crummy piece of journalism. A headline, George's, this is from Jacqueline Howard at CNN. Georgia's daily coronavirus deaths will nearly double by August with relaxed social distancing, model suggests. As some southeastern U.S. states start to reopen, Georgia is projected to see its number of daily COVID-19 deaths nearly double by early August, according to a model shared by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and created by independent researcher Yu Yanggu. The epidemiological model, which provides projections for 40 countries and every U.S. state, has been included among the seven models CDC highlights on its website for COVID-19 forecasting. Gu said Tuesday that his model is based on an epidemiological methodology called SEIS, which stands for Susceptible Exposed Infectious Susceptible Modeling. We use a very classic epidemiological model, Gu said, adding that his model is updated daily And he is concerned other models are under-projecting deaths. I have to tell you why I think this is crummy bad journalism. I checked CNN's website. They have never cited this model. They've cited the Imperial College model. They've cited the IHME modeling. The IHME modeling is the modeling relied on by governments. This model is unused, is untested. It may be on the CDC website, but no one's paying attention to it. And suddenly, the governor of Georgia decides to reopen Georgia, and CNN decides to run a story. Hey, this model we've never cited before and no one's heard of says more people are going to die. I personally think that speaks to bad journalism than it does to modeling We're in a time where a lot of people are questioning the models. A lot of people are skeptical of the models. And there's been a lot of defense of the IHME modeling. 
then now decides to essentially do the three-card modeling, hide the IHMA modeling to pull out the modeling that shows even more deaths so that they can get a sensational That is bad journalism in my view because you've taken a consistent track with consistent citation of a of a particular model and now you're rejecting it in a for a model that amplifies the amount of deaths and it is a model that no one is using it may be on the CDC website but no governmental entity is using this model they they cannot cite any governmental entity using this model they they cite that particular model and they don't actually cite any other modeling out there. And I think that is bad, bad journalism. It is sensationalism for the sake of getting you the story you want. Uh, by the way, the IHME modeling still shows that uh, Georgia it has crossed the peak of resources and death. The, you know, it moved out and now it's moved back. The IHME modeling seems to suggest that what Brian Kemp is doing is okay. And so CNN's no longer running that. That allows the skeptics to get a foothold. It allows the people who question the models to get a foothold. And it allows for a partisan story that should not be partisan. And the very nature of the partisanship it is encouraging is a partisanship that is going to undermine the overall application of the modeling and the state stats regarding the virus. CNN should not have done this, and they did. And you know why they did it? They did it for clickbait. They did it for clickbait. That's why they want the traffic for the story, which is why I'm not going to give you the link to it. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I started out uh, with the, if you weren't here the first hour, believe it or not, I actually spent an entire hour not talking about the virus. There's so much other stuff out there. The Tara Reid stuff is out there. Uh, the, there's the polling out there for 2020, Justin Amish getting into the race. If you, if you missed it, you can go get the podcast. Uh, it is, uh, you text the word show to three, three, seven, 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 and you can get it. Uh, but I, I do want to spend a little bit of time on the virus now. Uh, and if you want to if you want to follow along with me, you can text the word data to three three seven 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 because that is the revised that will send you back the link automatically. That will send you back the link to the Georgia Department of Public Health website and their uh, tracking for COVID nineteen. They have updated it. It is now in real time, except uh, except uh, the testing is updated. Uh, twice daily, and the ICU admission data is only what is reported to the Georgia Department of Public Health. Not all hospitals are reporting that. But with those caveats, uh, there have thus far been 140,223 tests. There are 25,159 COVID-19 cases, 1,114 ICU admissions, 4,923 hospitalizations, and 1,043 deaths. It is important, again, to emphasize that these are totals. Now, someone asked me, why aren't we getting the recovery numbers? Well, the good news is this. Of the 2,500, uh, 2, I'm sorry, the 25,159 COVID-19 cases, 15,000 or so have recovered. That's really good. Now, 
why aren't we getting that data? It has a lot to do with the CDC standard for reporting recovery. If you get the virus, if you get COVID-19, in fact, I know now a number of people who've gotten it. I know several people who were in the hospital. A couple of them wound up in the ICU. One of them wound up on a ventilator. I know a couple of people who've died of COVID-19. As an aside here, uh, I, I do believe that if you chart out the people who are most skeptical of the virus are probably the ones least likely to know anyone who got the virus. More than 60% of Republicans, forget the whole public, there's this, there's this perception that the media is giving that Republicans are overwhelmingly in favor of reopening the country. In fact, 60% of Republicans, according to the data, 60% of Republicans believe that it is serious and shelter-in-place is working. But... Uh, I, I suspect the ones who are most vocal about it are the ones who don't know anyone who got it. The reason that the recovery number is not being reported in most places is because of the requirements of the Centers for Disease Control. To confirm someone has recovered, they must have two consecutive negative tests for COVID-19. If you haven't gotten a COVID-19 test, let me explain to you. They stick a, an elongated Q-tip up your nose to the back of your to the back of your sinus cavity and swipe. It is not a pleasant experience and some of them are more aggressive than others. If you don't do it all the way, you may get a negative test even though you're positive. Why? They they got to get the slime off the back of your sinus cavity to test it. They haven't come up with a better test. And the result is people aren't going for it. But not only that, they don't have the capacity for it. You got to do two negative consecutive COVID-19 tests. And so most people aren't bothering to do it. Most hospitals aren't bothering to do it. Most health associations aren't bothering to do it. It costs money. Every test costs money. So why do it? The general rule is you isolate for two weeks. When your symptoms go away, you stay put for two weeks. The reason you stay put for two weeks after your symptoms go away in general is because they don't really know if you're asymptomatic or not. They don't really know if there will be a flare-up. There's so much about the virus they don't know. That's why the recovery data is not there. But by and large, uh, if you're not dead, you recover. And of the 25,150, let me do the math here for you. Uh, on the fly, because I'm an expert, 1,043 deaths divided by 25,159 cases times 100, uh, 4.14% death rate. 4.14% death in Georgia. That's slightly higher than the national average but not by much. It's lower than the global average. But if you're not dead, you recover. And so of the 25,159 cases, uh, most of them are going to recover. There are for certain 15, at least 15,000 of the 25,000 who have recovered thus far. More than that, really. Let me give you the, the full data, though, of where we are right now. 
On the 20th of April, there were 159. On the 21st, 685, then 658, then 508, then 485, then 220, then 139, then 89, then 33, and today there are nine cases thus far. Now, that those numbers will go up in the last few days, 139, 89, 33, and 9. Those will go up because tests will come in. They were Some of the tests delayed, they'll come in. But we've definitely are on the decline. The height of positive tests in Georgia, just so you know, was on April 14th. 866 cases. The height of deaths was on, um, was back in, it looks like, uh, yeah, the, the end of the middle of beginning of April. Now here's the other data that's so fascinating is that overwhelmingly, uh, it is African Americans who get get it, uh, followed by white. Um, and one of the reasons is because of the Albany situation. If you look at the charting, again, text the word data. This is where I'm getting all the data. Text the word data to three three seven seven seven. And what you will see is that overwhelmingly, the original impact on this case was in the black community, and the reason is because of Albany, Georgia, and Darty County. Per capita, that area of the state is the hardest hit. If you look, if you go to the, if you text data to 33777 and get back to this link I'm looking at, there's a map of the state and it's color-coded. And the default is by confirmed cases per county. And so, for example, Fulton County is in, in blood red, 2,755 cases, followed by DeKalb County in bright red, 1,907 cases, and then you've got Gwinnett County, 1,624 cases, and Cobb County, 1,538 cases. And then you've got Darty County, 1,493 cases. But there's a tab, and you can click the confirmed case rate per 100,000 people. That is the per capita rate. And suddenly the data shifts dramatically. Fulton County is not even in the top 10 of the most hard-hit counties in the state. That is Randolph County is number one with 2,309 cases per 100,000 people. Now, Randolph County does not have uh, that number of people. It's only got 6,700 people in in the county, but that's why it's so high because so many, there are 159 cases and there are 6,753 people in the county. That's why it's so high. Compare that to Darty County, Darty County has 89,905 people, and there are 1,493 cases. That's uh, 1,660 cases per 100,000 people is what that would work out to be. So your early county down in southwest Georgia, your Randolph County, and your Terrell County, those are the three hardest hit, followed by uh, Calhoun County, Darty County, Mitchell County, Sumter County, and Lee County. Those are your hardest hit areas, and the reason is because They have so many cases per 100,000 people. They have so many cases based on their county population. Fulton County has 250 cases per 100,000 people. Randolph County has 2,309 cases per 100,000 people. That gives you more perspective on just how bad it is. 
Upson County in Middle Georgia is the hardest hit part of Middle Georgia. Upson County has 207 total cases, but that per capita is 787 cases per 100,000 people. There have been 17 deaths and 16 hospitalizations. More people have died in Upson County of, and that's Thomaston, more people have died of COVID-19 in Upson County than have been hospitalized in Upson County, but it's only 17 deaths and 16 hospitalizations. Or take, for example, take Clark County. Someone asked me the other day about uh, venturing to Clark County. They had a situation there that needed to go resolve. They were worried about going. I said, you know what? If you're going, you've been in quarantine. The people you're going to see are in quarantine. Clark County is, is well down the list. There are only 142 cases and 129,000 people in the county. That, that, that puts them 109 cases per 100,000 people. That puts them in the bottom third of, of hit cases. By the way, they were one of the first places to order shelter in place. I'm in Bibb County. In Bibb County, there are 152,150 people in the county. There are 292 total cases. That puts Bibb County down the list. 191 cases per 100,000 people. Compare that to Houston County. There are 219 cases there and 157,000 people. Now, there are more hospitalizations in Houston County, 74 as opposed to 72 in Bibb. But it's not bad. And then there's Twiggs County. Now, for those of you who don't know where Twiggs County is, if you go down, if you head to Savannah down I-16, for you go down, you're in the you're in the North Atlanta area or the North North Georgia area. You head down 75 to Macon. You get on I-16 and you head off. When you get past Bibb County, you see this massive Academy Sporting Goods distribution facility. That is Twiggs County. Twiggs County is one of the least hard hit parts of the state. Seven total. Now, there are only 8,086 people in the county, 8,086 people, but only seven cases. That's a case rate of 86 cases per 100,000 people. If you text data to 33777, again, you can see all of this, but more importantly, you can see also the hard hit areas. And you let me give you the names of the least hard hit areas. These are per 100,000 people, less than 100 cases per 100,000 people. Glasscock and Tolifer, although keep in mind, those both count zero. And the State Department of Health says that's a reporting problem. There are actual cases there, but but they're, they're insignificant number of cases. But Glasscock and Tolifer say zero. But then Long, Montgomery, McIntosh, Tattnall, Hart, Evans, Wayne, Bullock, Trutland, Wheeler, Effingham, Camden, Liberty, Glenn, Candler, Chattooga, Catoosa, Murray, Charlton, Rabin, Whitfield, Hurd, Franklin, Chatham. That's Savannah. Madison, Lanier, Pickens, Monroe, Walker, Atkins, Twig, Dade, Emanuel, Banks, Harrelson, Jefferson, Jeff Davis, Berrien, Bleckley, Columbia, Jones, and Paulding, all of those are below 100 cases per 100,000 people. Elbert County is 100 cases per 100,000 people, and that is, for perspective, only 19 cases. Paulding County has 172 cases, but that's only 99 cases per 100,000 people based on its population. Columbia, which is Augusta, that has 150 cases, but that's only 94 cases per 100,000 people. That's not bad. The state of Georgia is headed in the right direction with this virus. We are on the decline. Shelter in place worked. The virus is on the decline. Today in Georgia, 
right now there are only there are only nine new cases. That number will go up as the day goes on, but nine new cases. Yesterday, there were only 33 new cases. The day before, 89. Those numbers will go up, but they won't go up by much. There isn't a testing backlog anymore. So those tests will come in pretty quickly. We're headed in the right direction. We went from a high on April 14th of 866 brand new cases that day to yesterday, 33 cases. That's good news. It's time to get the state moving. Don't go out if you don't have to. There's still a shelter-in-place order. The shelter-in-place order doesn't expire until May 1st. Don't go out of your house unless you have to. If you have to go out, wear a mask. But just understand, we're headed in the right direction, and if the virus isn't going away, we better figure out a way around it, and Brian Kemp is doing that. And that puts the Senate race in Georgia in a very interesting new perspective no one saw coming. I want to talk about that when we come back. Hello there. All right. Can we talk about the Leffler-Collins race for just a minute here in Georgia? Because there's a significant plot twist that no one saw coming. By the way, I, a Real Clear Politics actually has a uh, a piece out that I, I thought was very interesting on the Leffler situation. And um, it, it's, it's being pushed out by the... Uh, National Republican Senatorial Committee. It's by Brian Carney, who I don't know. Who is who is Brian Carney? Brian Carney uh, is the co-author of Freedom Inc. and Leadership Without Ego. Uh, he's a writer in New York, so this is this is commentary. Uh, but um, it, it, take a moment to admire the storytelling craft in the Daily Beast's story where the Daily Beast reporters make perfectly clear what they want readers to infer without ever explicitly overstepping the rather unremarkable facts of the case. Millions of dollars in stock, a private briefing on coronavirus stocks hammered. It would be a juicy story if not for a few convenient facts. Fact one, Senator Kelly Leffler and her husband lost more than a million dollars on the trades in question. Fact two, They don't actually manage their own investment portfolios. Fact three, the private briefing came from federal officials who said the new coronavirus was nothing to worry about. Subsequent news coverage would note that stocks sold by Leffler and her husband declined by 30% or more after the sales. Doug Collins, Leffler's chief Republican rival for the Senate seat, declared himself sickened that Leffler was profiting off the pain of those hurt, except there was no profit. What's more, as the senators maintained from the start, neither Leffler nor her husband have day-to-day knowledge of the trading activities of their portfolio managers. On January 24th, the day of the private meeting with Dr. Anthony Fauci and officials from the CDC, the Dow Jones Industrial Average stood at 28989 It was not for another month that the Dow Jones uh, fell below 29,000 and stayed there. If Anthony Fauci, an epidemiologist, unveiled secret information to the entire Senate that led Leffler to sell, 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 why was the stock market flat for four weeks afterwards? It is true by March 19th, stocks had been hammered. On that day, the Dow Jones closed at 20,087, off about 30%. Ironically, the stock market bottomed out just two trading days after the article and is now up 24% from those lows. What is the market at now anyway? Remember those days when I was having to give you the daily Dow Jones? What is it? It's at 24,544 right now. It's up 442 points right now at uh, 1027 a.m. 
Now, here's the thing. Uh, Leffler's going to have to defend herself. She, she's going to have to do some defense on this. It is a story. But there's a new angle here. And the new angle is this one. Reopening Georgia. Leffler has come out pretty aggressively in support of Brian Kemp's decision to reopen the state. And Collins has not. This is something that Leffler will be able to use if Kemp is proven right. If Kemp is proven wrong, Doug Collins has another quiver in his arsenal. Doug Collins has more to go after Leffler with if the virus in Georgia rebounds. He can say Brian Kemp was wrong. There's no love loss between Kemp and, and Collins at this point. He he has stood with the president, said he agreed with the president that, that uh, Brian Kemp should rethink this. So if Kemp is right, Leffler's come out and says she agrees with his decision, thinks it's a responsible path forward. Leffler gets to run a campaign ad on Doug Collins saying, I stood with the governor and got our economy regoing again, and Doug Collins said no. If Collins is right, then he gets to say Brian Kemp and Kelly Leffler recklessly expanded the economy, recklessly reopened the state and caused the virus to spread again. More people died needlessly because of their irresponsibility. Might as well join him at the hip. But if Leffler's right, and polling suggests in Georgia people are actually ready now to start inching back out into the public, then Leffler says, hey, I stood with the governor. He did the right thing. I stood with him, and Collins didn't, and there's her attack ad. <laughs> the attacks write themselves on both sides. COVID politics enters Georgia politics. I want to recirculate to something I mentioned in the first hour, uh, and it's going to make some of you angry. I think it, it made some people angry in the first hour. And I, I want to circle back to it uh, for a number of reasons, most importantly, because it is not the virus. Um, but, but before I do that, there is some good news that we need to talk about. Uh, and to do that, I want to play this audio from CNBC with uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who was the former chair of the FDA, talking about remdesivir, which is a drug by Gilead Science. Doctor, we, we talk about the timeline with you all the time and the ability to try to give confidence to Americans and, frankly, those all over the world to go back, uh, go back to work, to go back to some sense of normalcy. And we've talked about a possible vaccine. Uh, bringing that kind of sense of normalcy. How does this change the dynamic? I mean, do you think that this drug, based on what you know, will create the kind of confidence um, and when that people would say to themselves, you know what, I'm, maybe I'm willing to go out, go out and do what I'm going to do, and if I get this, uh, I'll have the confidence to know that I can take this drug and, and things might be okay. Is that... Is, yeah, well, that I'm way? in the same place... I'm in the same place I've been when we've had this discussion many times, which is this drug coupled with the therapeutic antibodies that are under development by Regeneron, Veer Biotechnology, Amgen, and Lilly, coupled which, with much better testing that we're going to have, the ability to test millions of people a week heading into the fall, I think that that could be a robust 
toolbox that could mitigate the risk and help help reduce the fear that if you get this that th- that it's a race to the bottom that there's nothing there to help you we're also le- learning how to treat patients with covid much more effectively in the hospital we're learning what interventions to do and not do so i think all of this is going to put us in a much different posture for the fall this is a part of that toolbox we've talked about that could reduce the risk in the fall and allow us to get back to some semblance of our normal lives even with covid circulating in the background that's wonderful news, and it's worth highlighting. Uh, Gilead Science says there's positive data from a study. Uh, let me read you this from CNN. Uh, hopeful news has emerged from a study on whether remdesivir could be used to treat COVID-19. Gilead Sciences said Wednesday it is aware of positive data emerging from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases study. That's Dr. Fauci's group. Uh, study of the investigational antiviral remdesivir for the treatment of COVID-19. We understand that the trial has met the primary endpoint and that uh, NIAID will provide detailed information in an upcoming briefing. The FDA has not yet approved the drug for treatment of the coronavirus. So it looks like uh, we are headed in the right direction with this drug and they need to be applauded. Now, let me get to this. There's a warning sign for the president's re-election you should know about. And I'm going to frustrate some of you because I'm not getting into the naming of names. And some of you are going to say, you got to name the names. I'm not going to believe you unless you're going to name the names. I'm not blaming the names. I'm not naming the names because you know what that's going to mean? It's going to mean all these people are calling me to deny it, even though they know what I know darn well they're doing it. Here's the thing. There's a warning sign for the president's re-election, and it is not the polling. You know, the polling in 2016 was not actually bad polling. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. The polling said she would. What the polling did not do was account for the Electoral College, where the president won Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, key swing states. He won them by 70,000 votes, and that gave him the election, even though he lost the popular vote. The president, is his entire re-election strategy is premised on being the first man ever to lose the popular vote twice and win the presidency. Even George W. Bush in 2004 won the popular vote, got 51% of the vote, and won the presidency. Donald Trump is calculating on losing the popular vote while winning the presidency. It's a dangerous strategy, but there you have it. Now, here's the thing. The polling is not the warning sign. The polling in the battleground states is actually pretty good for the president. It didn't get a lot of notice because the national media, the reason, okay, the reason that uh, polling in battleground states is less frequently done than national polling is because it's actually more expensive. And the reason it's more expensive is because what you can do very easily is take a a random number generator and generate phone numbers based on area codes and call people around the country and do a statistical sample. It is much harder to feed in the voter registration files of just those states and then generate the phone numbers of just those states and do polling. And it's also a smaller sample. The smaller a polling sample, the higher the margin of error. It's a much easier thing to survey 500 people nationwide and come up with a poll, and statistically, it's a pretty good poll, versus surveying 500 people in three states uh, because it's a, it's a smaller, it is a smaller pool of people that you're dealing with, so you're more likely to get similarly situated people. It's not spread out. 
Um, here's the thing. The president is doing well in those states because some people are doing polls of Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Minnesota. Uh, Arizona is a troubled spot for him, believe it or not. And it's one of the most Republican, reliably Republican states in the nation. That should tell you something. The president has some some problems. Everybody knows he's got problems, though. Uh, his own supporters say, yeah, he's going to win, but he does have some things he's got to tweak. No one believes he's a shoe. Well, yeah, there are some people who believe he's a shoe in, but no candidate for office is ever a shoe in. That's not the problem, though. There's a warning sign the president needs to pay attention to. And that is that a number of individuals, senators, former elected officials, current governors, and others, are already laying the groundwork for 2024. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that makes sense. The president's going to win re-election, and he's going to be term-limited. Aha. Yes. Except the problem is it's April of 2020 when everyone should be focused on getting the president reelected. And here you've got a number of prominent Republicans and donors who are setting money aside for 2024 that should be in play for 2020. And what about the vice president? If the president is... If the president is running for office now and gets reelected, shouldn't the vice president be the heir apparent in 2024? Because essentially what's going to happen is the vice president would run. If the president gets reelected, the vice president runs, and you have all these other people who try to run and say, we need to chart a new course. And Trump supporters say, no, no, we like the course we're on. So either way you look at it, there are a group of Republicans getting together, preparing for 2024 to chart a new direction for the country beyond Donald Trump. And that's a warning sign. That's a warning sign for now. When the donor class is setting money aside for 2024 and the politicians are already plotting out their course in 2024, a post-Trump course. You don't plot a post-Trump course when Trump is still on the ballot for 2020. That's the warning sign for the president. That's the warning sign his campaign needs to heed. That's the warning sign his campaign needs to pay attention to. You don't have these people out there distracting donors when the donors need to be paying attention to 2020. Now again, I'm not going to name names. All you have to do is, 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 is scratch the surface and you're going to see them. You know, one person who's not, who was, and who is not now is Mike Pence. Mike Pence was putting together a machine that would get him in good stead for 2024. He's put that all on hold to concentrate on 2020. Now, he should. He's on the ballot. But that's a warning sign. There's also another warning sign for the president. There are Republicans who are seriously at jeopardy of losing. And Tom Tillis in North Carolina and Martha McSally in Arizona are two of them. And that they're in danger of losing. Forget Susan Collins. Susan Collins is in danger of losing as well. We, we lose the Senate if we lose these seats. We're going to lose Cory Gardner, so that gives us four seats. Uh, we'll pick up Alabama, so that, that's plus one, so that gives us a net negative three. 
that the president is losing Maine is no big deal, that Susan Collins is losing Maine is no big deal other than we potentially lose the Senate. And we need a check on Joe Biden if he wins. We need to hold the Senate. If Joe Biden wins, we need the Senate to stop him from putting left-wing judges on the bench. But with the president, if the president is behind in Arizona and North Carolina, he needs those states for the Electoral College. He needs those states. He's got to hold those states. And so Republicans need to figure out what to do. Now, here, here's the thing. Events change things. We're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel on COVID-19, unless it rebounds. But they're already starting to talk about it rebounding in August. Man, I got to tell you, um, if the president can get his stuff in gear so that when the virus comes back later this year, he looks super presidential, he's got it under control, he rushes stuff out, he puts the vice president in charge, he gives the vice president essentially command and control to get Remdesivir into people's hands, to get it into hospitals, to make sure that that the economy is going, to, to order people to wear masks, all, all that sort of stuff. The president does this, the president looks leaderly, the president neutralizes any of the media backlash he's got right now. But he's got to do something. Speaking of pits, have you all seen the media outrage over this? He goes to the Mayo Clinic and he's not wearing a mask. I'm sorry, but this is a Dukakis moment. Now, I was a kid when Michael Dukakis ran for president of the United States. But one of the things Michael Dukakis did is he put a mask on himself. Or not a mask, I'm sorry. He put on a tank helmet. Michael Dukakis was running for president of the United States. And there was a very famous picture of Michael Dukakis where he wore a tank helmet and it was oversized and he looked staggeringly ridiculous. And that became a photo used by George H.W. Bush to define Michael Dukakis as staggeringly ridiculous. In 2004, John Kerry went into some NASA thing and was covered in safety cloth and the Bush campaign made John Kerry look ridiculous. Obviously, the vice president is not going to wear a face mask to the hospital when everyone else is in a mask. And the media has decided to blow him up over it. Here's the thing. The media, if Mitt Romney were president and handled this flawlessly, would savage Mitt Romney. You know it and I know it. If Mike Pence wore a mask to the Mayo Clinic, they would savage him. Oh, you say you've got it under control. If it's under control, big brave man, why are you wearing a mask? So he doesn't wear the mask and they talk, everybody's got to wear a mask. Why aren't you wearing a mask, Mike Pence? Well, three weeks ago, the CDC told everyone not to wear a mask. If they weren't sick, he's been tested. Now suddenly they've changed their mind. Maybe he didn't get the memo. I don't know. The whole thing, the media gotcha game on this is actually pretty ridiculous. In fact, the media has covered that more in the past 24 hours than they've covered the Tara Reid situation against Joe Biden. The country depends on an honest media, and instead we've got a Democratic machine operating as an honest media, which everyone knows it isn't. That's a problem. Y'all, something's got to change in this country when it comes to the press. You know, by the way, I want to get into this a little bit. There's this ongoing obsession of the media with Fox News. Do you know more people listen to talk radio on a daily basis, conservative talk radio, than watch Fox News or MSNBC or CNN combined? Rush Limbaugh's got a cumulative audience of 13 to 15 million people. Now, here's the thing. that the Weekly cum uh, for, for the radio is weekly. It's 13 to 15 million people. But you break that down by day part. 
more people are watching Rush or listening to Rush Limbaugh in a 15-minute period than will watch Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC combined. But CNN and MSNBC are fixated on Fox News and not Rush Limbaugh. Why? Because it has nothing to do with Fox News supposedly misleading people and everything to do with Fox News is kicking their butts in the ratings. It's a jealousy argument. It's not a fact-based argument. And when they go after the vice president for what he did and make that a bigger story than Tara Reid, there, my friends, you have a problem. You know, I made, I'm real tempted to just redo my opening show it in the 11 o'clock hour with the Tara Reid stuff. Because first of all, it was brilliant. You have to acknowledge I did a brilliant opening in my first hour. You're not going to hear that on any other talk radio show. But it also makes the point about all this media bias and how they're covering this stuff. They will cover the Tara Reid story and make it all about Republicans say. Not about what Tara Reid said, not about what her neighbor said, not about the eyewitnesses. They'll make it all about what Republicans said. There's real bias in the press these days. They're out to get the president. And you know that doesn't matter. It doesn't ultimately matter because the president withstood that bias in 2016 and won. The problem for the president is there are a bunch of Republicans who should be right now out there helping him, and instead they're plotting 2024, and that suggests they don't think he's going to win in 2020. I have a very important announcement to make. It is a very important announcement. After 10 years with my big green egg, I've decided to buy a Rectech pellet grill, pellet smoker. Now, why would I? First of all, Rectech is Georgia made. Uh, their parts are manufactured in China like Traeger, but Traeger has the whole thing put together over there and uh, their build quality has gotten horrible. Uh, I, I know multiple people who are so disappointed with their Traegers in in. Uh, in part because of water tightness and, and insulation and uh, the, the flimsiness of the material and the computers and, and just everything. Uh, and, and Rectech is just awesome. Is so that they, they the stainless steel is, is of better quality. They actually put them together here in Georgia. They build the, and make the computer here in Georgia. They don't actually uh, let Chinese manufacture that stuff. Uh, and so I got one. Now, what is it? Yeah, okay, yes. This is the cooking segment of the program. It, it's a pellet smoker. Now, I have had a big green egg, so I will tell you all this story. Uh, when I first got hired by CNN, the end of 2009, 2010, I used my very first paycheck from CNN to buy a big green egg. And I assumed I would use it as a grill and discovered pretty quickly thereafter. My, my wife isn't particularly a fan of the charcoal flavor uh, from the big green egg on burgers and stuff. So we had a Weber and I still use my gas grill for grilling. But I used it for smoking, and, and it took me a while to master, to adjust, and I got really good at it. I could do turkeys, I could do Boston butts, I could do brisket, and finally, when I got so good at it, uh, I just decided to get one of those little computerized fans that you stick in there with a little probe, and it keeps it going. Well, as I've started smoking more, I realized, you know, I, I've got a large, and I guess I could go up to an extra large, but they're quite pricey and still don't give me a ton of space. And I want more space. I want to be able to do more Boston butts. I want to be able to do more turkeys. I want to be able to do more briskets. And I finally decided the other night, I, I, I smoked a brisket and I ruined it. Um, I had, it, I used a temperature probe on the grill and didn't realize I had to fold the brisket over uh, because it wouldn't fit on the Boston butt. And then it unfolded and I didn't realize it and landed on top of the temperature probe that was supposed to be the grill temperature. So that kept the grill temperature about 30, 40 degrees lower than it should have been. And the result was that the fans sped up and uh, 
caused the smoker to be way harder, hotter than it should have and completely burned the edges of the brisket. It wasn't even burn it. It was, it was crisp ends and then dried out the brisket. And I was, I was mad. I stayed up for an hour and a half until I realized what had happened because I knew something wasn't right and couldn't figure out what it was. That was it. Uh, and I just thought, you know, I'm tired of staying up late to do this. I know how to do it. I've mastered it. I can do all sorts of stuff on my big green egg. I've got a gas grill for regular grilling. I've got a rotisserie on the, on the, I've got a big fancy thing. It's called a DCS. It is a, uh, commercial grade, uh, grill. It gets up to about 2000 degrees across the grill using ceramic rods, uh, as sear burners. It's, it is a brilliant grill. I love my DCS grill. In fact, I'm the only one in the family though that uses it because it can get so hot. Uh, you stick your hands in and, and your, your hair on your hands burns off. It, I mean, it's an impressive grill. It self-cleans. It gets so hot, but I need a smoker and that has a smoke box, but I'm not going to smoke something in my grill. I want a real smoker. And so I wanted more room. So I decided it was time to upgrade the big green egg. Now I got to figure out what to do with my big green egg. I'm honestly thinking of just rolling it to the curb and telling people on next door, you want it, uh, come get it. But then I would have to give out my address. So probably not. Nonetheless, uh, it's time to upgrade the big green egg. I love it, but I want more space. I want something easier now. I want a pellet grill. And when I was looking, I was researching, there's a Yoder, there's the, the Rectech, there's the Traeger. I knew I didn't want Traeger because Traeger actually gets pretty bad reviews these days. Now, if you don't have the money, it's fine. Uh, Tra Traeger, if, if you want a lower end uh, thing, that's, that's okay. You can get a Traeger. I think you can get them at Walmart even. But I wanted something that would last me and, and the Rectech comes with the best warranty and it's Georgia made. Uh, and apparently really good guys. And for their pellets, they use all hardwood. Now, I have heard that Traeger uses wood oil uh, to help flavor. I don't want that. I want just hardwood. And that the Rectech does a better job. We know one of the downsides of a pellet smoker is it doesn't give you as much smoke control as the big green egg. So I can use my charcoal in the big green egg and put in a couple lumps of hickory and get a nice smoke flavor. And with the pellet grills, counterintuitively, it may be all hardwood, unless you're using the Traeger wood oil stuff. But it doesn't give you as smoky a flavor. The upside, though, is that with poultry, particularly chickens and quails and stuff, you don't want it to be too smoky. You don't want it to, to you don't want to feel like you're eating a cigarette. And there's always a downside in, in the smokiness level that particularly with a, a big green egg, you can get it too smoky. So I decided I wanted a pellet grill because I can just plug it in and set it and forget it, basically. And looked at all the models and decided, you know what? I'm going to get a Rectech. It's from here in Georgia. They're in Augusta. Supposedly good people. They got a great warranty. And now I'm excited to get it. And I got to figure out what to do with my big green egg. But I will be putting up lots of cooking pictures on Instagram. I'm sure you should follow me there at E.W. Erickson. I'm sure this is what you wanted to hear. When we come back, Diamond and Silk are parting ways with Fox News. I'll tell you what I know. There's some gossip there. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show all over the place these days. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of the program, I'm happy to have you join me. I will allow it. Um, I got to tell you, Bill de Blasio is out there tweeting that uh, it, my message, so he broke up the funeral of a rabbi. 
My message to the Jewish community and all communities is simple. The time for warnings has passed. I have instructed the New York Police Department to proceed immediately to summons or even arrest those who gather in large groups. This is about stopping this disease and saving lives, period. Ich bin ein Berliner. <laughs> it is, it's remarkable to me how Twitter was able to translate that from German into English so well. Uh, yeah, that's right. New York City's mayor it wants to round up all the Jews who dare to congregate anywhere. Uh, wow. Uh, you know, it, it, people are overplaying their hands, I think, on on the, the, the lockdowns. Listen, I, I, I have said all along, I have already, already said, said this before, that I think they were necessary, that the shelter in place was necessary. But at the same time, I think that there was a reaction from a lot of the nanny staters to begin with. And that nanny stater reaction has shown, has emphasized, has overwhelmed a lot of people with realizations of the abuse that's going on in the country by certain elected officials who absolutely, ridiculously have overplayed. Look at what is happening with, uh, what's her name, uh, Whitmer up in Michigan where she's literally ordering stores to rope off certain aisles of stores for what is and is not necessary. And, and seeds and water hoses, for example, are not necessary, but liquor and marijuana are. So you can't grow yourself a garden and take care of yourself with food as, as more and more stories come out that there's a short supply. But you can, if you need to get drunk or get high, you're, you're perfectly welcome to go to one of those stores and buy your drugs or alcohol. That's a problem. There's a problem in Texas. Where's the story? I had the story. Um, it, it's I'm hemming and hawing around somewhat because I'm trying to find the story and, and it disappeared on me. Here we go. Uh, this is from discern, D-I-S-R-N.com. Undercover cops arrest two Texas women for providing cosmetology services in their homes in violation of the lockdown orders. Undercover officers in Laredo, Texas, arrested two women last week for violating a local quarantine order by providing cosmetology services in their homes. Law enforcement said the women recruited customers on social media. Brenda Stephanie Mata, 20, and Anna Isabel Castro Garcia, 31, both were arrested after meeting with undercover officers who visited them in their homes, ostensibly seeking beauty services. Mata was arrested for allegedly agreeing to provide eyelash services, while Castro Garcia allegedly offered nail services and said she'd been running a nail salon at home. Laredo's mayor deemed such businesses not essential and prohibited them. Each woman was charged with a misdemeanor, punishable by a fine or jail time. Is that really the best use of release of police sources resources? I mean, this is kind of the problem, folks. The local officials aren't exercising any discretion. They've become absolutist on the stuff. 
you've got you know I, I oh do do I wanna do I do I wanna make this point? No, no, I probably better not. I better not say this. Uh Charlie will thank me later when I tell him what I was gonna make the point on. Uh but there's you know, there are laws and then there's discretion for enforcing the laws and, and I don't necessarily know that we need to be uh cracking down on stuff like that. You know, there's a Supreme Court case. This is this is a good point. Supreme Court case uh that came out, uh Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Roberts joined um joined Kagan and Sotomayor and Ginsburg and this is kind of a weird dichotomy uh Breyer Thomas and Alito were in the minority and the case is about Georgia Georgia is so if you go to court in Georgia if you're a lawyer I used to be a lawyer and if I went to court I had to cite the OCGA the OCGA is the collection of laws and statutes in Georgia. Both the Constitution and the uh, and the statutes of Georgia are found in the OCGA. OCGA stands for the Official Code of Georgia Annotated. Now, there is a, a Code of Georgia, Code GA, but you can't cite the Code uh, GA. You have to cite the OCGA. And the OCGA is divided into titles. Title 20, for example, I was an elections lawyer. Title 20 is the election code in Georgia. If you want to, if you go to court and you're arguing about elections or you need to find an answer for a client, you look in uh, Title 20 of the OCGA, which is 20 dash whatever, 20 dash 2 dash 100, et cetera, is at SEC, I guess you could say, is how you conduct an election in Georgia. 20 dash 5 is campaign finance, uh, uh, Title 18, so OCGA 18 dash whatever, that's the criminal code, and on and on it goes. You got to cite that in court. Well, there's a problem. You as a citizen should have access to the official code of your state, and, and OCGA is the official code of Georgia annotated. There is no OCG. Now, what do they mean by annotated? Well, a group of legislators in Georgia annotates the state code. So if there's a major court case or a major revision of the law, they add a footnote to the code section. Like, for example, the Georgia Constitution prohibits marriage between people of the same sex. That section of the Georgia Constitution remains. But if you go to the OCGA, you'll see a footnote put there by a committee of state legislators that says... This has been uh, rendered unconstitutional by the Obergefell decision of the United States Supreme Court, and it gives you the citation to the Supreme Court decision. So even though the legislature has not scrapped that provision of the Georgia Constitution, they put in a footnote saying it's unenforceable, and here's why. You go to... Go to, I don't know, pick, pick your section, 20-5-3. Let, let, let's see, what, what is this? Uh, OCGA 20-5-3. Let's see, does, he, does such a provision even exist? Yes, uh, disbursement of funds. Um, in order to effectuate the purpose of this article, there shall be made available to the Board of Regents wherever funds may be duly allocated to it by the proper authority, either by specific appropriation or otherwise, as now provided by law, the Board of Regents shall be authorized to distribute the funds. Uh, so that's Title 20. I, I've clearly screwed up here. I thought Title 20 was the election law. Oh, it's Title 21. 21 is the election code. 20 is education. That That's irrelevant. But yes, uh, OCGA 21-2. 
That is the gen- elections in general primaries. So OCGA uh, 21-2-6. Every candidate for county office who is certified by the county executive committee of a political party or who files a notice of candidacy and every candidate for municipal office who is certified by a municipal executive committee of a political party or who files a notice of candidacy shall meet the constitutional and statutory qualifications for holding the office being sought. In other words, if you certif- if your county political party certifies you're qualified, by God, you're qualified, uh, but the state party is under an obligation to actually say you meet those qualifications. That That's the code. OCGA 21-2-6. 21-2-7 is the eligibility of subversive persons for nomination to election. No person who has been adjudged a subversive person, as defined by OCGA 16-11, uh, the Sedition and Subversive Activities Act of 1953 shall be nominated or elected in accordance with this chapter. That's a perfect one I accidentally stumbled upon. Because there are parts of that that have been declared unconstitutional by Supreme Court decision. And if you, a peon, a mere peon, uh, pull up the OCGA, you'll see that this is on the law. No person can be who has been adjudged a subversive person can run for office. You would never know the Supreme Court has said that's unconstitutional. If you get, if you pay 400 bucks and you get the OCGA with the annotations, you know that. And that's the problem for the Supreme Court. The OCGA is the official law of the state, not this Georgia code section uh, that doesn't have the annotations. Uh, GA code section 21-2-7, you can't go to court and cite that. You have to cite OCGA 21-2-7. And OCGA has all the court cases that apply to that section that would show you it was unconstitutional. But you have to pay 400 bucks to see it. But that is state law. That is the official code. That is the one that matters. And so this case went to the Supreme Court where a man has been publishing the OCGA for free. The state gave a contract to LexisNexis to publish it and let LexisNexis charge you $400. So the state sued on LexisNexis's behalf to say you're not allowed to cite the official code of Georgia annotated because we only let LexisNexis do it and you got to pay them 400 bucks. And John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, with Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan said, wait a second, folks. If this is the official code that you are required to cite in court, you can't copyright that. And you can't charge people for access to it. And the reason you can't is because ignorance of the law is no excuse. You can't say, well, I didn't know that was the law to get out of being charged with it. And if you're going to be able to to say ignorance of the law is no excuse, you've got to be able to give people access to the law. And in Georgia, the Georgia code is not the law. The official code of Georgia annotated is the law. As a result, as a result, the Supreme Court said, you can't charge people $400 to access your code. Now, Clarence Thomas wrote a dissent, and he does make some sense. He says, what's going to happen here is you're going to get rid of this. Georgia's not alone in doing this. And what's probably going to happen is you're going to have a number of states that say, well, if we can't make money off of doing this, we're not going to do it anymore. And you're going to have the Georgia code that doesn't have the annotations become the, the default standard. 
because the legislature is not going to do all the work if they can't make money. Now, I hope that won't happen. Clarence Thomas does have a point, but I think the majority here is right. If you can't hire a lawyer, see, we have we have uh, de facto ceded our liberties to nine black robed masters. And we can't even approach those black robed masters. We have to hire a lawyer who takes half of our money, who goes to a, a an inferior black robed master and based on those decisions, ultimately may deign to humble himself before our nine black robed oligarchic masters and beg them for a recitation of what is or is not the law. The caveat is if you can't afford that lawyer, you're allowed to go by yourself. But even then, you still have to cite the OCGA. So you're too poor to hire the lawyer to go humble himself before our black robe masters to ask them for the recitation of the law. And you still have to pay 400 bucks. There's something absurd about that. And the majority is right. Now, the majority will never admit that it is them who have caused us to be in this situation. The, the, our nine, we, you know, we, we really don't live in a democracy when you think about it. We live in an oligarchy. We live in a, in a nation where nine, really five black-robed masters who have the morality of Harvard Yard and Yale can determine for 350 million Americans what is right and what is wrong. We have five people on the Supreme Court who will substitute their morality and their values for the democratic processes, which is one of the major reasons we are divided as we are as a nation. Because you and Georgia are no longer allowed to have a different moral perspective than the people of California, and inevitably the people of California win because the more secular and godless you are, the more likely the Supreme Court is to embrace your views. We have empowered nine kings and queens on the United States Supreme Court to dictate for us what is and is not so. We are no longer allowed as a democracy to decide for ourselves. We're a republic, not a democracy. You get my point. But at least they got this decision right. It actually impacts you here in Georgia. It is a case about Georgia law, and it is ridiculous that the Georgia legislature decided to fight this at all. That was just dumb on their part. All right, I promise you diamond and silk gossip. We're not actually going to go. Gossip's a sin, people. <laughs> okay, uh, so here's the thing. Um, diamond and silk are out at Fox News. They were never really on Fox News. They, they, so they were YouTube stars and they took a liking to Donald Trump. They were always kind of outrageous. They took a liking to Donald Trump, but they were also kind of nuts. And Fox News is trying to build an online streaming platform. And the reason they're trying to build this online streaming platform is, is they can see where things are headed. Ultimately, you've got uh, Glenn Beck's The Blaze. You had CRTV that's been merged into The Blaze. You've got all these other NRA TV for a while. You've got these various streaming services. And Fox decided to leverage its brand and put some lesser conservative celebrities on its streaming platform. Uh, they're, they're not the, the Hannity's or the Tucker Carlson's of the world. They're the, the Tommy Lahren's and the Diamonds and Silks of the world. The problem is that Diamond and Silk have used that platform to spread some major conspiracy, like cuckoo for Cocoa Buff, crazy conspiracy theories on the Wuhan virus. For example, I believe, I now I read this, I, I, I did read this. 
that Diamond and Silk suggested that the government had built, had genetically programmed a switch into the virus so that they could turn it on and turn it off. I'm, uh, yes, I'm just sitting here in the quiet, a switch to turn the virus on and off. Yep. Y'all are thinking it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I don't know that anyone believed this, but they put it out there. And they use Fox to do that. Well, Fox has had enough. That's not the only only, uh, kooky conspiracy theory these two have published. Uh, So Fox is done. Done. Uh, No no more. They're out of it. Uh, and, And I don't blame them. Uh, and, uh, so diamond silk are gone. And is, so here's the thing. There's this, there's this media reaction out there to this. Now, Nathan had never given them a platform to begin with. Everybody knows why, uh, do, do you, are you, do you not appreciate the number of people on the left who continue to get platforms on TV. Look at the nuts on MSNBC. They gave Al Sharpton a TV show on MSNBC. I've been on the show. Al Sharpton, by the way, he's a very pleasant person, but he's crazy. I got asked to go on a show. I was happy to go on a show. I did a favor for a friend, but man, he, ah, there, there are nuts out there on the left and the right. And the, the thing is that on the left, they believe that all the nuts are on the right. None of them are crazy. Meanwhile, they they do all sorts of nutty stuff. The larger issue here, though, is that the media is making Fox News a target because Fox News is ratings dominant. There are more people who will listen. I mean, y'all, there are more people who will listen to me than will watch Fox News. And I am only on uh, maybe 15 stations with this show. And then I'm on uh, WSB Radio in the evening, which is uh, now the most listened to uh, conservative uh, news talk station in the country. And I will get more listeners than Fox will get viewers. And Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and Glenn Beck and Mark Levin and Ben Shapiro at a national news talk level will get an order of magnitude more people listening to them on a regular basis than will watch Fox, CNN, or MSNBC with Rush Limbaugh more people will listen to Rush in a 15-minute period than will watch CNN, Fox, and MSNBC combined in that same 15-minute period. But you never see the media going after Rush so much. They do occasionally, but not like the sustained assault on Fox News. And the reason is because this is not about the credibility or content of Fox. This is about Fox News kicking their butt in the ratings, and there's a deep-seated jealousy there, and they got to try to dissuade people from watching Fox and they have not been successful yet, and so they continue to ramp up and amp up the slander against Fox. So it's time to renew my tag, and so I'm on the Department of Revenue website during commercial break looking at all the different tags I get. I thought about getting an LSU one, uh, being an LSU fan from Louisiana, or a Mercer one since I went to Mercer. Uh, Honestly, I like the Atlanta United license plate. That is an awesome-looking license plate. and so I'm actually thinking of getting an Atlanta United license plate just because it's the coolest license plate design there is. 
I'm seriously thinking of doing it. Uh, maybe I will. I, I need to go to one of those games. I, I did see they got a University of Tennessee license plate as well, and and thankfully there's not a football on there because man, uh, why would you want a football on a University of Tennessee? <laughs> you put a you put a football on a University of Tennessee alumni license plate, and anytime any other SEC team comes by, you got to hand your license plate to them. <laughs> I'm only saying this because Philip is listening. Philip who works for me on my website, decided to take my son and me out on Lake Tobosofsky in Macon last night uh, to go fishing. And we two fish were caught by Philip. I, I, I got a couple of bites but didn't catch any. But I got home. We're in his, we're in his boat. And I get home. And I literally, I, I knew that stuff was, I just assumed it was water splashing me. That Nope. I had bugs splattered across my forehead. It was so gross. <laughs> we had a lot of fun, though. Uh, I, 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 I caught a lot of good pictures, but no fish. All right. Uh, now let's see, where did I want to go? I wanted to go to the meat shortages because there is a meat shortage that may be coming. Although the president of the United States has decided that he's going to use the defense procurement act to keep these places open. Here is Sonny Purdue. For Americans who be, may be worried about access to good food because of this, I want to assure you the American food supply is strong, resilient, and safe. And in fact, our food supply chain has shown tremendous agility in shifting production and logistics so suddenly from restaurant and institutional settings to retail settings. To all the employers out there in this sector, it's critical that you follow CDC guidelines and guidance and best practices to keep all of your employees and people safe and healthy. To employees and local public health officials advising them, the CDC has issued guidelines on how to mitigate a situation if you have a positive case in one of your facilities. And the president also touching on what he's doing on the food supply issue. Jeff, go ahead, please. Mr. President, you're going to sign an executive order today about meat packaging plants. It <laughs> affects liability for them. What efforts or what measures are you looking at for liability for other industries and other businesses? Well, we haven't been talked about. It hasn't been asked on other industries yet. But with the meatpacking and with the transportation, uh, we have had some difficulty where they're having a liability that's really unfair to them, and we're going to be doing that. I think, Mark, uh, we're going to be doing that fairly soon. It's getting, uh, it's getting drawn up. I should be signing that over the next hour or so, taking the liability, which frees up the entire system. And I fully understand it. Not their fault. Yeah, please, go ahead. You know, th there isn't an easy solution here. Because if we don't keep the meat plants open, you know, back at the beginning of March, I talked about a story. It was in the Wall Street Journal where they said, you know, with all the frozen meat we have in this country, we'll be good for up to a year. Well, now they're saying we've only got a two-week supply. What what changed? Uh, I, I think what changed is the media wasn't in panic mode or trying to keep people from panicking. And now suddenly they're like, oh, boy, we, we got we, we to gotta deal with something. We, we apparently have a shortfall in our meat supply in the state of Georgia. And we need it. We, we need it because, I mean, for example, I got my Ms. Griffin's barbecue sauce and I got a, I got a, and I got my new Rectech grill coming. And between Mrs. Griffin's and Rectech, I got some wings I got to do. And by the way, just what, uh, two weeks ago, we were saying there was a wing shortage and people need to go buy wings. And now suddenly we got a meat shortage. 
No. By the way, uh, buy Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. If you go to their website, you can buy two, get one free, mrsgriffins.com. It actually is, you know, I, I just, I got to say, because I ran into, you know, I, you know, I don't go anywhere anymore except the grocery store, and I continue to go, go to the grocery store and keep running into people who listen to the program, and it's never the same person, so apparently uh, people are listening, which is a good thing. But I was actually walking by uh, down the the baking aisle, and there was a guy there. It's like the second time, and he says, are you coming to buy your Mrs. Griffins? It's right here. <laughs> it's always embarrassing. I need to start wearing like a full mask and cap so nobody recognizes me. You should buy Mrs. Griffins. So I'm, I'm stunned by the number of people who have been buying it, uh, which is fantastic. But nonetheless, um, I, th- there's a shortage. There's a shortage. And I'm I'm just kind of shocked by the number of people who they wanted to, to they they didn't want you to panic so they didn't want to give you the whole story so they painted a rosier picture and now. They need you to panic, so they're painting a more dire picture. I, I I got a real problem with that. I've I've tried to, you know, I on a on a near daily basis, and I'm not making this up. On a near daily basis, you know, one time I was told you should never say you're not making it up because then that presumes that you're making up other stuff, and I'm not. But nonetheless, uh, I, I am being very serious here. On a near daily basis, I get emails or direct messages from people saying, "Why are you scaring everybody?" Why aren't you giving us the good news? You know, some days there's just not. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to be as real with you guys as I possibly can with the data. And and there is, there are problems in the data. And we should be realistic enough and mature enough to understand that there are problems out there. And I've tried to be very consistent with you since January by talking about if this virus comes, here's what's probably going to happen. And I kind of resent that I told you guys at the end of February, beginning of March, that uh, don't worry about the food supply. Even if it all shut down, we had enough stuff in frozen storage around the country that we would be fine. When now it turns out that those stories were wrong. We got a two-week supply. But you know what's happening now is that that's causing people to go panic by meat. It's harder and harder to find meat. By the way, I, I this is a good this is as good a time as any to to put one thing on your radar. There are plenty of local uh, butchers and farmers to develop a relationship with. I unfortunately there is not a there is not a butcher shop in Macon anymore. There, there's Welch's Meat, which is good. They specialize in in smoked goods and jerkies and stuff. But like a regular butcher shop, there used to be a butcher shop in Macon, and it was year it was there for years before I discovered it. And naturally, the moment I discovered it, they closed. That have, does this happen to you guys? This happens in my house. Well, we we finally discover a product and we think, oh man, where's this been all of our lives? And then we find out they're going out of business. Or now that the Ericsons are buying, time to stop making the pro- product. That happens all the time. It is a running joke between my wife and me. The moment we discover a product, we're like, eh, we're not going to make it anymore. Like so, Alessi Marinera is, is an example of this. Alessi, my my, my wife. Um, is on some medicine that, that can tend to give her heartburn. And at Publix, they they sold Alessi 
marinara. They sell a lot of Alessi products, but they no longer, the, the moment my wife decided this is the, the marinara sauce that doesn't upset her stomach, now we got to go all the way across town to buy it because the Publix doesn't sell it anymore. Like what? Come on, please. Or like the wild berry Pop-Tarts. My kids decide they like the wild berry Pop-Tarts and now you can't get them at Publix anymore. You can only get the generic Publix brand, which aren't the same thing. My kids won't eat the Publix. Nobody eats generic Pop-Tarts, by the way. Nobody eats those. You need the real Pop-Tarts brand. But this happens all the time. You discover a brand that you like and say, no, no, we're not going to make that anymore. We're not going to sell it here anymore. (laughs) Nonetheless, have a a relationship with your local butcher. I wish I had a local butcher uh, in Macon. I got to drive all the way down to Hawkinsville to M&T, which is fine because it's a beautiful drive down there through rural South Georgia. And they have an, an excellent selection, a better selection than any place you'll find anywhere else in the state. If you've never been to M&T, it is worth the drive. I know people who drive two and a half hours from North Atlanta to get down there every couple of months. They take a cooler and they stock up. It is a butcher shop where you can get anything. There are Hollywood celebrities that will call M&T butcher shop in Hawkinsville, Hawkinsville. They'll be out in California and ask them if they can ship stuff to them. That's how good they are. I wish I had a butcher shop like that in Macon. Uh, there, there's a there's a butcher, Butcher Brothers or something in, in Warner Robins, um, but there's no immediately available butcher shop. But you should develop one if you have one or develop one. There are local uh, farmers in Georgia where you can put in orders for cows and they will slaughter the cow and they'll they'll butcher it up for you and give you half a cow. There are relationships. Oh, look, the one percenter weighs in on what Pop-Tarts I can eat, says my producer. The one percenter. Technically, I'm a quarter percenter, Charlie. Not just a one percenter, uh, a, a quarter percenter, a half a percenter for you. But nonetheless, nobody eats the generic Pop-Tarts. Uh, anyone with taste is willing to shell out a little more for the real Pop-Tarts, but I digress because my producer digress. 1%, that's insulting. (laughs) Oh, we're only on Wednesday, people. We're only on Wednesday. All right, nonetheless, uh, seriously, there's a nationwide meat shortage. The president does not have an easy answer here. If he allows these places to shut down, we have a two-week supply that generates panic. People are going to go buy up everything at the grocery stores, and half of it they're going to throw away in a year. I mean, you know, the the grocery stores are no longer allowing people to bring back toilet paper. They used to allow people to bring back toilet paper. Uh, You could return it if it was unopened, but now to discourage the hoarding, they're not. I keep thinking about about a month and a half ago. When was it, Charlie? About a month and a half ago. We had a caller call in. He was at a Kroger on Hartley Bridge Road, south of Macon, and there was a couple. He said it was it was an overweight couple, typically stereotypical. They had two grocery uh, grocery carts full of two liter soft drinks and toilet paper, and that's what they were hoarding. They didn't have regular groceries. They had two liter bottles of Coke and they had toilet paper. That was what they were hoarding. Those people are going to get diabetes if they don't already have it, and they're not going to be able to return anything either. The grocery stores have stopped allowing people to do it. And a lot of people are going to go buy up meat from the grocery store, and they're going to forget about it, and they're never actually going to use it. But if you develop a relationship with a local supplier, you're going to be better off. You, you know, I I order from Omaha Steaks. Uh, this is not an ad. This is legit. Um, if you can't find chicken or beef or pork, go to Omaha Steaks. And you can order from them. They've got it. Or DeBraga. 
Snake River Farms, but they're starting to show shortages. I was on Snake River Farms looking for brisket the other day, and they were sold out of briskets. Uh, now, it is that time of year, too, but um, or uh, Allen Brothers in Chicago. Rush used to advertise for them. I've gotten a lot of people's stuff from Allen Brothers and from Omaha Steaks. Um, it, there are lots of places you can go online, but develop some relationships. That's one thing I think the, the buy local movement could benefit from this COVID-19 virus, and, and maybe they will. Your local farmers, your local suppliers, uh, your local butchers, your local, I mean, uh, local meat providers, all of this stuff you should to some degree be able to develop these relationships, whether it's a cooperative farm or something like that, buy more seasonal. Yeah, you may not be able to get a a, a a lettuce at a particular time of year or a carrot or a potato, but you'll be more seasonal cooking. It'll be fresher stuff. It'll be good for you. We need to get back to doing that. I hope people do get back to doing that. I wish very much for people to buy local and support their local businesses, but I also understand a lot of people can't. I always find it very pretentious when uh, rich white people tell you, no, no, not the Pop-Tarts. You should buy just the Pop-Tarts. But when rich white people tell you you should only shop the outer sections of the grocery store, go to the produce, go to the milk, go to the food. You should do that. And I think you would be well to do that. You would be healthier to do that. But let's be honest here. You're working two jobs. You got kids at home. You got a family to feed. You're not going to do that. You're going to get the canned vegetables because they're cheaper and easier to deal with. You're going to get the frozen lasagna. You're not going to make it from scratch. You're going to get the frozen pizza. And the idea that people can live their lives like that when so many people are frazzled, a hag ridden by the world and come home at night and all they want to do is plop, plop a frozen pizza in the oven to feed the family or a frozen, a frozen meal of some kind. And, and yet the left would prefer you to do that. And what this virus is exposing is that these supply chain issues when it comes to food and things like that, people are going to have a harder time doing that. I mean, they had a hard time to begin with. They're going to continue to have hard times. And we need to reassess not just the weaknesses in the supply chain in crisis, but how people live their lives. And more particularly, you know, I, I'm a big believer. I say it all the time. And Jeremiah, uh, what, 29.6, seek the welfare of the of the city in which you live, and there you'll find your welfare. People are going to need to really be real committed to their local community more so than their nation. And that's not a bad thing. You improve your local community, you're going to ultimately improve the nation. But cultivate relationships with your local farmers and your local butchers. If you can, if you can, I, I get it. People are busy. But if you can, you should. I really am thinking, well, look, there's an LSU license plate. Eh, I may go with the Atlanta United license plate just because it looks, oh, look, you can get the governor license. Oh, nope, you can't. It says you need a special document. I wonder what special documentation you need to get the gubernatorial license plate in the state of Georgia. Hey, I want to, I wanna, uh, as we wind down here, uh, mention a couple of things. One, uh, you, the Small Business Administration has set aside $60 billion for small businesses. And if you need to get that money uh, or not for 60, $60 billion for small banks to help, I know that uh, the folks at First Liberty uh, Building and Loan in Noonan have had so many applications that they're, they're, they're doing their best to help people. They've had so many applications. Uh, if, if you need to apply, though, you can go to firstlibertyga.com and apply for the PPP, the Payroll Protection Program. Uh, there's actually a box on their website. It says apply now. It's a red button. You'll see if you go to firstlibertyga.com and apply. 
the that SBA program, I mean, even Chuck Schumer, to his credit, was on TV this morning saying it's absolutely ridiculous that there have been so many people uh, applying and the SBA can't handle the load, and that's troubling. Here's the president on this as well. Our swift action supported or saved 30 million American jobs at least. And last week, Congress answered our call to replenish the program, and I was honored to sign an additional $320 billion for American workers into law. At least $60 billion are reserved for community financial institutions, including those that serve minority and distressed communities. And that's also, when you think it's African-American communities, it's Hispanic-American communities, it's Asian-American communities. We began accepting applications for the second round of funding yesterday. Demand is extraordinarily high. And there are already twice as many users accessing the system as on any day under the first round. And one of the things that the Secretary of the Treasury told me is that the amounts are much more loans at much smaller amounts. And we like to hear that because we're looking at the small amounts, the smaller businesses, and that's what we want. Nonetheless, we're processing loans at a pace never achieved before in the first 24 hours of the second round of funding. We've handled over 30% more loans than any previous day of the program. That's a lot of money flowing through. Uh, and they are now finally there. I mean, there have been, listen, I don't want to name and shame the businesses that are getting the money because everybody needs it right now. It's hard times. Uh, but a lot of big banks are ignoring the smaller businesses. And that's why I like guys like um, uh, First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan. You can go to firstlibertyga.com and, and check them out if you need help. Uh, hopefully, they'll be able to help you. There are a lot of people applying, though, and, and the money's running out quick. Congress is going to have to do this all over again. I, I want to end on a, on a high note. Uh, Emory University. Now, I, I'm not a big fan of the Emroids. Anyone who's ever listened knows. But I think this is worthwhile. And there is a student at Emory University who has signed up for the trials. Uh, Sean Doyle is his name, and he's a med student at Emory, and he wants to be one of the people they experiment on for the vaccines. I think it stems from the fact that, like the whole world, I've been watching uh, news of the devastating effects that this virus is having uh, worldwide. And we really need a vaccine as a tool to be able to reduce and hopefully prevent the transmission of this virus so that we can fight it. Um, so if my participation in this trial and other folks' participation in this trial and other trials ongoing around the world for the development of vaccine help reach that goal, um, I think it's definitely worth it, in my opinion, to be a human guinea pig. To be a human guinea pig. You know, there's actually Oxford University is showing very positive signs of a vaccine. And, you know, I told you guys there's never been a successful uh, coronavirus vaccine, and that's true, but I actually read something very interesting yesterday on why that's true. It's because SARS was the one that they were struggling to get a coronavirus vaccine for, and it largely disappeared. And you actually need to have people out there with the virus circulating in the wild to be able to test it on, and there just aren't enough. In fact, there are some scientists who are a little bit concerned that this virus may be receding so quickly we're not going to be able to get a virus done in time uh, to be able to test it in wide circulation. Hopefully that'll be changed, and it'll be because of people like Mr. Doyle, future Dr. Doyle at Emory, who are stepping up to do this, and good for him.